This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, Bad Movie Lovers. I am your host, Nick Scheist, and I'm back here for another new episode of Bad Movies We Love. You may or may not have noticed, but I took last week off, and I was initially going to try to get this episode out the day after Thanksgiving, but I ultimately decided that I just wanted to enjoy the holiday, take some time off for myself, relax, enjoy the family time, and I hope that you did the same, if you celebrate. And if you don't, Hopefully it was just nice to get a break from hearing me talk. But you and I both know. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. That's right. And if you want to support the resistance in the final month of the year, you can do so by going to coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash love. That's where you can become a supporter of the show like my friend Ben from the Cinema Shit Show. And because Ben has been a loyal subscriber since the beginning... He's got a special gift headed his way that he doesn't even know about. And he won't know about until he listens to this show several months from now. He'll know something's up when a package arrives on his doorstep, but we'll keep that a surprise, so shh. If you're not in a position to donate, that's okay. But you want to help the show in another way, you can do so by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform and by leaving a review and a rating. Because I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help. Now that all the housekeeping is out of the way, we've got a great episode lined up for you today as we turn back the clock to the superhero era of the mid-90s as we dive into Mike Binder's Blank Man from 1994. It is great junk. He is a hand crank washing machine that dispenses Diet Pepsi. You could make a helmet that brushes your teeth, but you can't just fix your glasses like a normal person. The speculum of life. Grandma comes over and starts whooping their ass. Don't touch the third rail, you're dead. And then eventually, like, they blow him up with a bunch of C4. Look at the crack house. That seems like the kind of guy you would send to kill an old lady. Who are all those people just watching in the alley? Shut up, you crusty old bitch. Hey, Manelli, the jig is up. It's time for you to pay the piper. Get ready to rumble! Welcome back, Scott. Good to see you again. How's it going, man? How you doing? It's been a long day, but I'm glad that that day has led me here where we get to hang out and talk about Blank Man. This is one that, yeah, this is one that I considered bringing to Film Club for September. So this is going to be like an honorary September episode. Should have recorded this in September, but I don't plan things in advance all that well. So here we are in November doing a superhero movie. Yeah. It's for sure one of the first superhero movies I think I ever saw. It's got to be because, yeah, like, I mean, I think it was the 
early Batman movies, the 78 Superman, and then probably this. Like, it was pretty early because I saw it when I was a kid, like eight or nine years old. So, yeah. Yeah. And there was like there's a little bit of a gap between the Supermans and then Batman coming and sort of reestablishing that superheroes can be a, a marketable uh, property for the film industry. And I think what the year before this, we got Meteor Man. Yes, which, which I never is, saw, but I heard uh, was good, but I never should, saw it. Yeah, you should. Now mm-hmm. that you've gone back and watched Blank Man again, you should check out Meteor Man. They're definitely close to being in the same universe, if not officially in the same universe. Well, yeah, and I, I also like I saw this before I had ever seen the 60s Batman. Mm. So I did not understand what it's directly referencing. <laughs> and now I do. I'm like watching. like, OK, this is clearly their love for 60s that show like that's so much part of what this is but at the time i was just like oh that's kind of cool like i didn't catch all the references at the time so so what was it about like this movie that like sprung into your mind and made you want to bring it to the table for this show well uh i did not know that it wasn't considered like a great movie by people (laughs) i had um i remember why i saw it it was so this is i'm going to tell the brief version of this do you remember columbia house vaguely yes okay so they would have this thing where if you wanted to join columbia house you would pick like eight movies and you could get them all for a cent quote unquote one Mm. cent and that's like your introductory introduction and then you have to like buy movies at regular price after that anyway i somehow talked my parents into getting me this like after great duress took forever they were like okay scott we'll let you do it so they had like a sheet of paper that was like stamps and the movie posters were on individual stamps and you got to like lick them and place them on like the eight the eight slot it was really fun i remember being really into that um and this was one of the movies i chose because i wasn't allowed to get r-rated movies so it was like i just picked whichever pg-13 or pg movies were available so i picked this and i i don't think I'd seen it before I picked it. So I, I bought it. It came in the mail. I watched it. And I just remember I watched it with a buddy of mine who was like probably my best friend when I was a kid. And I just remember we really, really thought it, like we really enjoyed it, really thought it was funny. And that scared me a little bit watching it now. because I'm like, what if it's not funny? Yeah, but it's probably funnier now <laughs> than it was back then. Like there's so much I probably didn't get then. I'm sure I didn't. But uh, yeah, I I thought it held up great, and I was just surprised that it wasn't considered like high on the list of like great '90s comedies. So when I s- kind of sensed it wasn't, I was like, well, this would be a good one to pick for this because this is, for the record, not a bad movie. Um, and I've verified that with my watch this week. <laughs> not it's not bad. It's a good good movie. I had fun with it, and I wish I got it for a cent because I ended up having to rent it for four bucks, but that's fine. They can have my $4. Uh, It went to a good cause, but I think I would agree with you pretty strongly that it's better now because I'm old enough to not just appreciate the humor that went into it, but to appreciate like what Damon Wayans put into it, because Mm -hmm. like, this is very clearly coming from a place of appreciation. Like you said, for that old Batman series and like, how do you, take a character or at least love for a property like that and then make it for your own community in a way that's accessible and still like keep 
your sense of humor intact and all these things that you've established throughout your career to this point doing like in living color. So I really felt like it was actually a really solid entry into the superhero genre. And I think maybe because it is focused on being a comedy that people probably don't even really consider it a superhero movie would be my guess. And Metacritic has just, you know, Mandela affected this thing out of existence. They don't even have a score for it. If you search it on Metacritic, it doesn't exist. So I had to go to Rotten Tomatoes where it has a 12%, which, you know, isn't it's bad, but it's not the worst <laughs> movie that I've <laughs> talked about. So it's just interesting to see that from where I'm standing, like a lot of the jokes landed way better for me as an adult because this really is like pretty raunchy for a PG-13 movie that is kind of capitalizing on kids. But realistically, like if you look at this, like I don't think the primary target audience is kids, even though as a kid, when I saw it, I was probably 11. Yeah, kind of the same. I'm like, I don't know why everyone I knew who watched and liked this movie was also a kid. It was like kids gravitated towards it. And I actually watched an interview uh, of Damon Wayans doing press for it at the time. And he was saying that he thought he thought it was okay. He was basically saying it was a good movie for kids to see. And it was like good comedy for them. Like he was like pitching it almost as if he wanted it to be considered a kid's movie. Uh, so that was interesting. Yeah, but it, when you really think about the jokes in it, like there, I know there's stuff that I didn't get at the time that I was like, oh, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, certain things, and like yeah, it is raunchy at times, and it's uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I'm not sure why it skews toward children so much, but it seems like that was my experience too. Was like it was me and my friends movie, and my dad didn't know about it, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we're introduced to a couple of kids, which is the young versions of Daryl and Kevin, I want to say their names are. And yeah. so at that point, it's like, OK, this is a kid's movie. You got two kids that grew up watching like Batman. They like to act it out. They sort of believe that this is possible. But then we very quickly move on to them as adults. And so there is a disconnect between, I think, this view of batman from a child's perspective that like you really believe that this kind of thing is possible and that's really what the movie kind of locks in on and bases the entire premise around but then beyond that like it's an adult comedy after that like this movie's very horny surprisingly horny and i didn't remember that about it at all and i was like i was like dag is really like laying it on thick with robin gibbons here and so to me it just it seems like this ended up being sort of marketed incorrectly more because the success of Batman is like you have kids watching that. So if you're going to make a superhero movie in the early 90s, you're not making a rated R superhero movie because then really nobody's going to watch it. So at least like they were able to get this made, get it released. But there's a little trivia question that I'll circle back to that'll give us a little additional context there but did you see this like when it came out i mean how far down the line after 94 when it released did you see this okay so i'm gonna say that i got <laughs> i finally talked them in the columbia house in like 95 96 
you know what? It had to have been 96 because Independence Day was one of the movies. So hmm. it was at least two or three years after this came out. But thinking about it, like in that, like the context of the time, it is interesting because like, so I knew what I kind of knew what In Living Color was. My parents watched it and they thought it was funny. And I I remember certain parts of it, certain skits from it. Most specifically, I remember Jim Carrey from it because of Fire Marshal Bill and stuff like that. But 94 is a weird year for In Living Color because you have this movie and Keenan Ivory Wayans has a low down dirty shame, mm-hmm. both of which did poorly. Like they did were not well received, did not do well at the box office. Then you have Jim Carrey with the weirdest year of all time, where he starts in like January with Ace Ventura making like like t- several thousand dollars for that. By like July, he's in the mask. By December, he's making 20 million for Dumb and Dumber. That's all one year. <laughs> like it's insane the like the jump and Jim Carrey that have, but it, he kind of eclipses everybody from In Living Color. Well, J Lo, but you know what I mean. Uh, in terms of the comedians, it is interesting, like how like that show just so there was a lot of movies that came out of that show this year, but like I feel like these kind of got overlooked. I ne- I haven't seen a low down dirty shame, uh, but I like some of Ken Iwan's other movies, so maybe I don't know if it's any good, but this one's I only I only saw it once, and it was probably around the time that I saw Blank Man, but I. I was 10 when this movie came out and I had been watching in living color for a few years at the time. And I, that was always my preference to SNL. I wasn't an SNL kid growing up. So I was very much on board with like, whatever these guys are going to do like David Allen Greer, especially. So to see like this kind of project come out, it wasn't the kind of thing where I was like, Oh my God, Batman. Right. But it was something where I don't, I don't think I went to theaters for it, but when it came out the next year on like cable uh, home video release, I was very much on board with uh, jumping right into it. And I mean, I hadn't seen it since the mid 90s, so I wasn't sure that it was really going to hold up either. But I was pleasantly surprised by how much I actually enjoyed it. So thank Mm -hmm. you for that. And I guess for the people listening at home, or in the car, or wherever. Uh, if there was, <laughs> I don't know where people listen to podcasts. I listen to them when I'm walking or driving. Uh, yeah. But so, for from your perspective, like, what would be the thing that? Why would people say this is a bad movie? Well, uh, let's. I guess now is a good time. I need to talk about my boys, uh, Gene and Roger. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I had to look up what they said because that's what I do. But uh, so Siskel and Ebert, they were film Twitter and Rotten Tomatoes all in two people (laughs) at that time. They just were like the beacons of film criticism and discussion at that time in America. So I watched their review. They actually both were kind of positive on it. Uh, Gene liked it more than Roger, but Roger basically said it has no third act (laughs) and it kind of just falls like it kind of just runs out. (laughs) Which that's a criticism that I can't really I kind of understand what he's saying. Like, he's like, it's funny for a while. And then eventually, but it does. There's no ending really to it. <laughs> like, it, I mean, I think it kind of has an ending, but he's basically saying it needs more of a, a structure, I suppose, to its, uh, you know, to how it finishes. Yeah. Uh, but Gene was saying, well, the laughs are there enough that I can recommend it. 
so my guess would be that the reason why people would it's hard to say like i don't know why i feel like people just had no like would get annoyed with silly comedies more than they should have at the time like you look back at some of these older movies that were legitimately funny but kind of goofy and it feels like people would act sometimes like the reviews would be like almost of a better than place like like this is just beneath me this is not fun you know and by the time the Farrelly brothers come around everyone's embracing stupid comedy and like these are guys are geniuses it's like well this kind of stuff has been here for not that this is as bad raunchy as the Farrelly's by any stretch but uh I feel like maybe maybe it was ahead of its time a little bit uh, you know just because these self-referential jokes and stuff just uh, maybe they just didn't land back then I'm not sure I mean, it's not the most, you know, rich <laughs> thematically or like screenplay wise movie. It's not the best written movie ever, but it's it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And I think maybe sort of what you said, it was uh, Ebert that said it doesn't have a third act. Yeah. So it, it kind of like backs itself into a corner where it's stuck between like being the comedy that it was, which is a superhero parody which I think is really rich for a lot of the humor and it works really well for the vast majority of it. And then you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, well, is this a superhero movie now or not? Because like, you've got a villain, you've got a finale, like you either need to like get to the next gear and really give us a superhero story or sort of like take that away and just stick to being a comedy at that point. And so I, I can see what he's saying there. Like towards the end, you don't really know, like, are these guys like really telling this story of these guys being heroes or are they just like fuck ups in a world trying to be this and so like i think i just gave it more grace now yeah. as an adult looking back and being like i understand what this movie is trying to do i laughed throughout the majority of it so i think it succeeds as a comedy and then as like a superhero product i was like this isn't something that's trying to make a blank man too or you know they're not trying to franchise this so it doesn't fall victim to the same burden as other superhero movies as we've become accustomed to them now yeah yeah and i'll yeah it's not obnoxious in that way and i would also <laughs> that's what i'm calling superhero <laughs> movies now obnoxious uh but i also it also has a weird thing toward the ending where there is a scene that feels like the ending where all the characters are together and there's some action or suspense mm -hmm. going on, but everybody's in one place and you're like, okay, this is the end. Then the movie goes on 20 minutes longer and they all leave that area. So it's like, that was kind of weird. I, mean, I was like, that seemed like that scene should have been somehow worked to worked where that was the end of the movie. It felt that way to me. It felt like a climax, but uh, then they keep going. But, and then they keep going to the worst possible crime ever, which is what happens to J5. But anyway, that's so sad. I, that was I was shocked at how <laughs> sad I was at J5. <laughs> I was really upset by J5. Self-sacrifice, though. I was like, oh, my. I even put down I wrote down in my notes. I was like, oh, poor J5. Like, he really took one for the team here. Uh, I just cannot believe I just can't. <laughs> the, the level that they wrote, like, to create J5 is like, OK, as we discussed, he is a hand crank washing machine <laughs> that dispenses Diet Pepsi <laughs> and can hold a ton of explosives somehow to diffuse it. Like, and the diffusing is just blowing it, blowing up inside of him. But and then the pom poms for the hair. Oh, any shot of J J5's POV, I laugh at. I think it's hilarious. Whenever they show, there's like 
maybe five shots in the in the movie where they show his point of view. Yeah, it's pretty great every time. I like I was I remember J5 being in the movie, but when he turned the corner at the beginning and came in, I was like I think I gasped. I was like <gasps> I was so excited to see him. It's been so long. Yeah, and I also like that, you know, this is sort of a reference to Johnny 5 from Short Circuit. And so you get sort of the a similar look around like the eyes he has a personality but i like that like sort of all the stuff that uh daryl blank man is is making in this movie is all like none of it is i guess none of it is really technically high tech it's like the super low tech versions of all these things and j5 is like the most representative of that like you said he's a washing machine and for some reason, he's got Diet Pepsis. And I mean, if they're cold, I'll take a cold Diet Pepsi if J5 is around. So I can't really blame him for storing cold cold soda on hand. It's a it's a nice little treat to have when you're, you know, working hard, inventing and stuff. Yeah, it's just like I'm trying to think of spatially where those would go. But <laughs> where they're coming out of where they're coming, where they're, yeah, how they got in there and where they go with the explosives also. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised also, like I had forgotten about all the gadgets in the movie, but whenever they kind of came about, they like access some place deep in my brain from when I was a kid, I was like, like, I remember the cereal thing, the little old cereal contraption. Yeah. I remember the toothbrush, um, the thing that brushes his teeth, all that stuff. I was just like, it was like kind of cool to see again. But when you talked about like his versions or like the low, the low five versions of everything. I just I still think it's funny that he's got the fork on his glasses like that's right. You could make a helmet that brushes your teeth, but you can't just fix your glasses like a normal person. Yeah. You soldered it back together with a fork and and the kid versions of them. <laughs> he's got they've got the same tape in the middle. By the way, those kid whoever cast those kids was perfect. Like those kids look so much like them, like uh, Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer. That was great casting for those kids. But anyway, the, the kid version of a. Daryl still had the the little tape in between his eyes on the glasses, and he may have had the fork. I cannot, I did not notice if he had the fork. Not sure. Well, there, well there's a good reason that those kids were well cast because that is Michael Wayans and Damon Wayans Jr. Oh, oh, Damon Wayans Jr. Okay, yeah. Nice. So I, I know when I saw him as a kid too, I was like, oh, he looks super familiar. And then now as I see his adult face, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's totally him. I get it. Uh, but yeah, those are his real sons playing the young versions of them so nice little bonus trivia early um but i think i think now is a good time to look at the trailer because i don't remember anything about this trailer really i did not watch this i'm excited to see it before we get to that trailer it's time for a quick word from our sponsor Between the invisible radiation of cell phones, overprocessed foods, obesity, and a litany of newfangled prescription medications, male fertility is lower than ever. But if you're one of many men struggling with virility, there's a new hope thanks to Shootin' Blanks, the mobile male fertility specialists. At Shootin' Blanks, they're all about discretion. There's no nervous visit to the doctor's office, no awkward eye contact with strangers in the waiting area. Shooting Blanks comes straight to you thanks to their award-winning concierge service. They do their best to avoid surgical solutions so that your boys don't have to go under the knife. Every treatment starts off with a vigorous course of antibiotics to eliminate any potential underlying infection before applying their patented hormonal salve down under. 
and if that doesn't sound appealing, every treatment is capped off with a quick prostate massage to make sure everything is in working order. It's mobile motility at its finest. It's shooting blanks. Because discretion is the better part of valor. Call for your free consultation today. And now, back to the show. Rolling. Okay, let's go. In a city plagued with crime. When hope is gone. And help is out of reach. Please help me. Hey, get off the car, you bum. Only one man (laughs) can stand in the way of evil. Look! I'm a crime fighter! (laughs) No man. Get ready to rumble! Has ever been so bold. No crime fighter. He's got like a prosthetic foot that he throws. (laughs) Yeah. Wanna try it again, pal? Why don't you shoot him in the head? Yeah! Shoot him in the head! Uh oh. I did vividly remember that scene in the alley. Yeah. I'll never forget you, my love. And no crusader (laughs) has inspired so many. It's a big world, and we all have to do our part. Columbia Pictures presents. I have to make the world a safer place for my children. You got to be with the woman first! You're a virgin! (laughs) Damon Wayans. Call me Blank Man. Blank Man. Now, stand back. I do like the logo, too. I think that holds up pretty well. Yeah. That part is still... Right? I mean, you've got this moment of him, like, ejaculating on himself. Very prominently featured, even in the trailer. And and the movie ends with that, too. That's the last beat of the movie. Hang on, I'm coming down. We're gonna have to deliver this baby. Can't do that. We'll have to see her thing. <laughs> David Allen Greer. Kevin, again. What? Talk lame to the book. I would love to play with you, but now is not the time. Even says like later, he's like, I was talking to my nuts. J5. Jamie. So I was talking to my Jamie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> J5 should be gingerly on his way. Best joke in the movie. <laughs> Blank man. Slap me around and call me Susan. That scream, man. <laughs> yeah. I warned you, Susan. And he calls him Susan. <laughs> <laughs> they end with that too. Wow. Wow. That's a good trailer. It is. I mean, it really gives you like everything that the movie's about. So and it actually doesn't spoil all the jokes. Like, there's good jokes in there, but there's a lot of other good jokes, too. Yeah, I feel like it's really much more rich in the comedy than we get there. That basically tells us, like, hey, it's a physical comedy. He's going to be kind of dorky or whatever. But there is a lot between the two of them as I think they're brothers. Are they cousins? They're, they're brothers, brothers I think. Yeah. But it was weird to <laughs> I had to also reference an interview with Damon Wayans to find out how old they were supposed to be <laughs> i couldn't get a handle on their ages i was like just their conversations and him saying like you have to be with a woman to <laughs> make the world a better place for your children there was just certain <laughs> i was like I, I couldn't figure it out and apparently damon wayne said uh he was playing him as a 30 year old so now we know okay that uh daryl is 30 and i'm assuming that uh kevin is a little bit older he has older brother energy he does um yeah so anyway they're early 30s i don't know for some reason i just could not uh, i couldn't figure out what age they were trying to telegraph that these guys were (laughs) but that's because it's not in really in reality at all so it's just kind of 
on that heightened level the whole movie sort of is so yeah i think the idea was to sort of present them as adults that are probably too old to be living with grandma mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah. having fantasies about being crime fighters so in that way i was like okay like i i don't know how old they are but this guy's like working at heart edition like he's trying to climb his way up in the news business so i'm like he's probably at least in his like late 20s at that point so i mean like being 30 Makes sense, at least. And I think it actually sort of makes Daryl's character a little bit more refined, if that makes sense. Like, if he's too young, it's like he hasn't detached yet. So it's like he's at a place at 30 years old where it's like, look, you haven't even fixed your glasses, but you're busy inventing all this other stuff, having fantasies about going out in the world. And, you know, you accidentally created this bulletproof material for your costume, that kind of stuff. So they established that he's smart. But they also go out of their way to establish that he has like no relationship with the opposite sex. And it, it's kind of interesting to see that they brought in Robin Givens because it felt like her and Dag actually had like good chemistry opposite one another, even though like David Allen Greer is mostly being like l- pretty forward the whole time. Just like, yeah. hey, let me get your number. Let's let's go out. Let's, you know, this, that like he's constantly on her trying to like get a date. And so to see that it's actually daryl who ends up getting the date in that situation she falls in love with him and etc i mean okay a lot of that stuff is all like cliche but i just felt like the the chemistry between dag and uh, robin gibbons was really good and then to sort of play that against the idea of like oh well my brother is now the one who's getting the attention but to not have that be this source of conflict between them like especially in the character models like because they're skewing a little bit younger you could have easily gone through like oh dag is jealous and he's gonna like do something to backstab david or uh daryl at this point so i'm, I'm glad that yeah. they didn't do that and they kept it in this place of like he's still he, he's a little bit jealous but he's also still like celebrating his brother's wins so i, I like that about it yeah, he's uh, he's like incredulous that it's happening, but he's not mean about it. Yeah, he's yeah. sort of like I see. That's funny that you were. I was thinking the chemistry with like Robin Givens and David Unger was kind of like. He she just friend zones him so hard. Yeah, so early and it doesn't help the talking to his quote unquote jammy scene. He's st- I wasn't talking to my jammy. That's just I don't know why it's funny, but it is. Um when he's talking to his belt buckle and she thinks he's talking to his <laughs> jammy. Uh, but she yeah, that, hands him the business card back and like, I've changed my mind. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say she didn't just walk away. Like most people would, she like comes in and goes, no, fuck you. I'm not <laughs> talking to you anymore. That was crazy. I was like, wow, she's very direct, but I thought she was good in the movie. Like she did a good job of like kind of playing the scenes almost with a smirk on her face. Like she, yeah was kind of like like she'd just been laughing in the take before but in this one she was holding it together but it kind of made it charming in a way where it was like she gets that this is silly uh yeah i thought she, and at the time i had no idea who she was i was just, like when i first saw it i was like oh she's i didn't realize she was like the woman that barbara walters famously <laughs> asked mike tyson if he hits her while he was mm-hmm. sitting next to her like that crazy stuff i was like so i found out more about her after but and she, i guess she wasn't in it like a ton of movies but several i think a few around this time i think she yeah. was in an eddie murphy movie around this time uh yeah was that boomerang maybe it was boomerang yeah yeah um but yeah like i i thought that 
I like the first scene with uh blank man and uh is it Kimberly Kimberly yeah uh where they're like where she's kind of like you can tell she likes him she kind of kisses him I remember thinking that I was going to find that more I kind of bought it more than I thought I was going to when I saw it coming I was like okay yeah yeah but then it was kind of almost sweet in a way like their relationship the where carnation that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just it's kind of charming. It's better written than it has to be, I think, for a movie like this. Oh, absolutely. And like I found myself asking, like, is she really going to be into this guy? And then that's sort of like the inside joke, right? And I like that you mentioned like the way that she sort of portrays this character. She's got this look on her face, like she's in on the joke the whole time. Like well before these other characters are brought up to speed like primarily Daryl and Kevin, like she's already one step ahead of them. She's like, I know you're a goofball and I know you're into me and I'll let you still be flirtatious, but this is just never going to happen. So she mm-hmm. like, like you said, she shuts it down right away, but they still have really good dialogue between the two of them. It's fun to watch her sort of reject him and it's fun to watch him sort of pine after her in that way. And so by the time we get to the point where she's kissing Daryl, And she doesn't really know who he is at that point, but she sees this person that is very different than everybody else. And does this take place in Detroit? I think it's supposed to be Chicago. Okay. I thought I could be wrong. I thought it was, I thought it was supposed to be Chicago because there was a lot of, there was Illinois plates a couple of times. Okay. So you get this like metropolitan area where she is, I mean, she's fairly high ranking. She's at least within her industry. She's, on TV, she's like a night news anchor, right? So she has a lot of sway, a lot of pull within that realm. And you, you spend a fair amount of time dealing with uh, Dag trying to sort of climb the corporate ladder with her sort of helping him along the way out of necessity. And then yeah. also, like, she's the one who's pushing for Blank Man to be a big story. So I like that you get this kind of environment where crime has run so rampant that it forces someone like Daryl to put on this like onesie and go out and be a superhero. And then when it comes down to sort of like news coverage, she's like, I want to show the good thing, not the, Oh, the murder of these old ladies who are running the election center, which like, Oh my gosh. They're kind of like, Oh yeah, we're just going to mow them down with an Uzi and then uh, we'll move on. We're not going to like really get into that too much, but that's why I was just like, this feels like it's way more adult than it is uh, for kids. So to see that it was sort of like, we have to straddle that line in order to even have a chance at being successful really maybe holds it back. But I think like the, the bones are there for this to be sort of like a really good absurdist superhero movie. And had it released like last year, like sort of on the back end of like everything that's happened at Warner brothers. Now everything Mm -hmm. that's happened with like the MCU and them going into streaming and sort of like their ratings going down and all that to have this now is much more important than it was then because then it was like, okay, we're, we're seeing the movies that came before us. We're going to be sort of like a parody of that, but it doesn't lend itself to like any further commentary about just the nature of this being part of like the film industry now. So I think in watching it now, it just gave me a much deeper appreciation for what they were doing at this time. Cause there's no, no way they could have been like, Oh, 
yeah, like Disney's going to buy Marvel and then they're going to make 20 movies and they're going to all gross a billion dollars kind of thing. So to have a, a position to speak from where it's like, we're just here to like have fun with having fun is yeah. a really nice thing to see again. And also like at that time, I mean, this is probably what one of maybe 30 movies Sony probably released this <laughs> year, like not even just like mid-level movies, not like yeah, ten, not, no tent poles, you know, just like, yeah, it was probably like their 20th comedy. Like, you know, at the time you could just, there were so many options available, but I was thinking like when I watched it this time, I did not remember that the grandmother gets murdered with an Uzi. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I did not remember that. And that took me by surprise. The grandmother, by the way, is awesome. She was on uh Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. I remember her from that. Um but anyway, yeah, like so I would say the the stuff with the grandmother's mur- everything involving the guy running for mayor, I would say probably is not super well done. It's like it's all kind of it's okay, but it's it feels almost like it's unnecessary in this movie for some, like there's a lot going on and you also have, you already have like, I'm trying to say like the villain uh, who I have to talk about him too. the guy, uh, <laughs> is it Manelli? Yeah. Who's like basically doing Danny DeVito as the penguin mm-hmm. as, as a mate, as a real person walking around in a city. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I felt like at, for a movie that was this funny and this light on its feet, the stuff involving the grandmother's death and the election stuff just seemed misplaced. And I also thought it was kind of eerie. Like the the guy running for mayor is obviously supposed to be a good guy who's doing the right thing. But he did you notice he had bright red election hats with white lettering on the front? I did notice that. I said, oh, I was like, OK, <laughs> I was like, good Lord, what are we doing here? But I was trying yeah. to see what those hats said, but I couldn't quite make it out. I couldn't either. I, yeah, I was trying to see. I was straining my eyes to see, but they were not in focus. But uh yeah, it's just such a silly movie that 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 is shocking a little bit. The moments when it like throws you into hard reality. And man, that I just that grandmother thing that like that's it, that stays with you. That's really rough. Yeah, because they go in and they like rob the election center. They take all the money and then just like some other guy walks in without a ski mask on and yes. just yeah. sprays them all with a Uzi. And it's just like, oh, oh, OK. Like, I didn't yeah. really think you're going to get that dark and then the next scene is like at the funeral like you're almost playing it up and he's like sobbing sort of like the histrionics of him crying and like snot bubbling and even the way he gets handed the handkerchief by kevin and he sort of like wipes his snot and then tries to give it back to him like they don't really take that seriously so it does have a weird like tonal imbalance of this thing of some sort of like social awareness of that like we said this is set in like a an urban city that has like a lot of black main characters and they're dealing with a lot of rampant crime and you've obviously got like organized crime on the inside you've got murders with firearms so there is this commentary that is there and it's just not necessarily the movie that you expect it to pop up in because if you look at something like the mask which i think was the same year You've also got the organized crime. You've got the reporter who's investigating, who then turns on him and sort of is evil. But for some reason, the mask, I think because of the 
the reality bending nature of the mask and the fact that it's set, I think, in I want to call it edge city. I could be wrong about that, but because it's set in like a fictional town, like you get a little bit more malleability with these kind of concepts and you don't have to like really marry yourself to any of it. So on the one hand, you don't need to really include all of this organized crime kind of stuff being behind the political curtain in this movie. But I do give them credit for including it because it's not something that kids are really going to pick up on. Right. Because like like I was saying with the mask, like you can kind of just get the nature of like this guy's a villain. He, uh, he there's an even worse villain. And like there's there's bad guys that do bad stuff. And then there's like regular people that suffer. And you could have kind of left it at that here. But they really made an effort to give us a mayoral candidate who is fighting against corruption. And they make that very specific because they try and buy him off several times. And he says no. And then eventually, like, they blow him up with a bunch of C4, which I was like, another, oh, wow. They <laughs> another die. moment that <laughs> sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie when they yeah. blow, blow up the mayor. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'm just such a righteous man that, you know what? Save yourselves. He's like, there's time. You did you what guys, you could. Right? You did what you could. Yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. still a minute left on the clock. You don't want us to work on this? Like, no, get out of here. <laughs> get out. Well, and yeah, I, I do understand that, like, I, I probably, I think it is good in a way that they, like, it does set up the need for blank man. Yeah. Because the police aren't doing anything because they haven't gotten paid. You kind of have to set up why why crime is <laughs> that that one shot of that car just running down the street with the the boot on their car made me laugh too. <laughs> yeah, just sparks <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> right before he's like, look at the crack house. He's like about <laughs> to run in. Yeah, like just showing all the crime. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's it's good for setting up like the plot. I was gonna say one more thing that I don't want to forget is like Blank man can set up. So he he I remembered very specifically that scene of him stabbing the knife into the shirt and it turning. I didn't remember what movie it was from, but I remember Mm -hmm. that image of something. And so he does that. I'm like, great. okay, bulletproof. But he doesn't make like a full head covering. I'm like, (laughs) why wouldn't you just put on? I don't Yeah, It just drives me crazy. And then they kind of deal with it in the alley scene, but they kind of don't because he gets in the head. I was like, yeah, what are they going to do with this? And then he just gets, doesn't he get saved by Kevin's kick or something like yeah. that? Yeah. kicks the gun. Who are all those people just watching? <laughs> Some of you are just standing there, staying around watching this happen. They're not involved with these two people at all. And he says, call me Susan. And then he actually does call him Susan as he hits him. It's, it's very silly, but very funny. It's like a pimp who's accosting one of his hookers mm-hmm. for like not paying him. And tons of other people. Yeah, I'm guessing maybe they're like pimps in training. They're pimp apprentices or something like that. Or maybe they're just a bunch of Johns. I don't know. But they seem to be on the side of this pimp guy. And since you mentioned the costume, I think one of my favorite lines in the movie ends up being where he tells Kevin, like, I didn't bulletproof your costume. Like, why? Why did you bother making me a costume at all to not like just give it the same treatment you gave your own? Yeah. Because he's like begging them to shoot him. He's like, come on, shoot me. <laughs> well, yeah. Why? Yeah, that does. I don't know. It was for Kevin. Yeah, I do like the delivery of that line in that moment, though, because it's like blank man is in the process of action and he doesn't have time to like even protect Kevin. He's just like warning him like, nope, don't mess with that. I didn't have time to bulletproof your costume. So yeah. don't, get, don't get too aggressive here. But like <laughs> the tone of this movie, like it at the very outset is 
very particular. Like if you're not on board right away, it's going to be tough because we get them watching Batman and stuff. And you sort of like understand that these are two kids that love this character and that they're like immersed in this world. And then when they start flooding the house, trying to get reception on the TV, grandma comes over and starts whooping their ass and they give us like the batman graphics of the kapow boom like they layer that over the top of these instances of like child beating and it's like okay this is <laughs> this is the movie right here and then right after that she's like yelling at some guys outside who are beating up a dude out in the trash can and they yell up they're like shut up you crusty old bitch and i was like oh my god i was like okay so there's no tolerance for like an old woman. This woman has no tolerance for her like kids flooding the house. And you just have to go full bore right away. I mean, she's teasing uh Dag about like being really uh quick in bed. Like yeah. right, right away. Like we see him as an adult. He's trying to sneak a girl out of the house, and she's like, Oh yeah, you're so like you you were done so quickly, but you're so loud, something like that. So it's yeah. like, OK, grandma is like very, very uh, immersed in like everything that's going on in their life. And she doesn't deal with any bullshit, but she's a great character for that reason. She also zings the uh, Manelli guy the, <laughs> when uh, he's like, you know, hey, lady, life is short as after he walks in and like is an asshole in the. Oh, yeah. A campaign office. And she's like, so must be that thing in your pants. <laughs> and he turns around and gives her that long look. It's like a too long of a look. You're like, what's this? And you're like, oh, this is setting up that he's going to have her murdered. Uh, crazy, cr- crazy sentence to say about this movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, she that's what that was. His dick, and then he's like, well, this old lady's got to go. Yeah, she's got to go. <laughs> well, also that one scene where she's like yelling at the guy in the alley and he says, shut up. And then she says. That must be your mom, your mama you're talking about when he says you crusty. And then she throws the the glass, the jar down there and she hits the wrong guy. Did you yep. notice that? She hit <laughs> yeah, the she guy who was the being civilian. beaten up. <laughs> yeah. It was just like a little like a very small thing, but it was just funny. I I was um have you ever seen any of the other movies that this guy Mike Binder made that directed uh, it? I don't know. I've only seen two. I, he may have made more, but he made a movie called Indian Summer that came out the year before this. That was another one I just remember from childhood because it was just I feel like I saw every movie that was PG-13 because I wasn't allowed to see already movies. So um, it was way too over like it, it was. it's about like a group of 30 year olds who go back to their camp that they were mm. at when they were ki- like 20 years ago and spend a weekend. It's got a good cast like Diane Lane and Bill Paxton and Kevin Pollack. Much people are in it, but um, it's pretty good, like a pretty good it's not like this. It's more like a. It's more almost like the big chill if it were like a comedy, like or more of a comedy. It's very uh, character based and like realistic and yeah, and kind of sweet in a way like this movie is so different in the way it does its comedy that I thought it was kind of an interesting pivot to change to this, although this is written by Damon Wayans and uh, somebody else. But uh, so it's obviously their baby. But um, yeah. And then he made a movie in like 2002 or so called The Upside of Anger, which is sad, mm-hmm. like Joan Allen. And she's a widow and she's an alcoholic. And it's just I remember being like really kind of a downer. <laughs> so he just has like a strangely varied career of uh, these movies. Some have hints of comedy, but some are like 
kind of weirdly dark. And maybe because of his darkness, he was the one who leaned into the murders in this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard about the upside of anger. I know the name and Indian Summer and Rain Over Me, but I, I haven't seen any of them. I have not seen Rain Over Me, but I, is that Adam Sandler? I remember the previews mm. for it, I think. That's 2007? Is it Sandler and Cheadle? Uh, Am yeah. I thinking of the right and, one? And okay. Jada. Okay. Oh, no, uh, maybe he, I have seen this one. I think he's like a homeless man. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Binder is also in the movie, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. He uh, he, he plays he, the therapist. That's right. The yeah. Movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's good to see like, hey, mental, some mental health portrayal, at least like on screen at that time <laughs> in the 90s. It was kind of <laughs> yeah. like frowned upon and, you know, they have fun with it and that, but. The Rorschach wow. test. That's like right. all they could do back <laughs> in, the, in the time. I think they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What images are you seeing on these yeah. plot tests? Well, it's like concepts weren't familiar enough for the audience to know anything other than kind of like the basics. So it's like, all right, well, you show them an image. I mean, it was in Batman, too. I think uh, mm -hmm. the, it was yeah. one. When did that one come out? The Val Kilmer one. He does. He sees uh, Nicole Kidman is a shrink in that movie. Ninety five. Yeah, so the yeah, year after this, they're using basically the same exact technique to be like, oh, well, you're seeing a therapist. Well, obviously, you're doing inkblot tests. And I mean, I've been in therapy a few times and I've never done a Rorschach test. So, yeah, just the easiest, most digestible way to be like, oh, you're having therapy right now and you've got some demons. So let's see what you see. Right. And uh, it's like always, always the joke is I, I'm trying to remember. There's definitely a movie where the joke is that they're seeing the most complicated things possible out of the most, the simplest stuff. Like he's sort of doing that in this, but I think there's an even worse one where like, it's like two dots on a page and they're seeing like the craziest stuff. I'm trying to remember what movie that was, but I can't, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I am surprised that the movie even included a scene of him taking to a therapist to talk over his problems. <laughs> Court mandated therapy. Nonetheless, wasn't it? He, um, he, he's like he, they were like he oh they arrested him and they said okay like you can take him home but you have to take him to see a shrink and then we get in that's that moment, what it is Forgot and it's that, like I, I think what i like about mm -hmm. that scene though is that they go there with this notion that the guy who puts on the suit and wants to fight crime is the crazy one and then in the investigation of that moment we really see that like dag is the one who is struggling and that it seems like he's the one who's crazy and of course like you know daryl is lying and not not acknowledging that he's blank man in that moment right. but you i think at least to me it speaks to this thing of like the person wanting to do good whether it be you know the way that he's doing it or in in an example from this movie would be like trying to get the right mayor elected for the town I think we see that like the person who wants to do the good thing is not viewed as the crazy person here. And I think we get that a little bit from Robin Givens character as well as she sees him as like this light for the city that that needs this kind of character. So kind of interesting that, you know, David Allen Greer is very like grounded. He's very much um, realistic about things in that like, hey, this is a crack house. Don't go into the crack house. It's super dangerous. Uh, yeah. he, he's almost resigned to the fact that they cannot change anything in the environment that they live in. And he's, he would rather just like get by safely and try to like 
get them out of that neighborhood rather than we get Daryl's character who wants to like fix the neighborhood. So I kind of like that dichotomy more than I thought I did when I was watching it. Yeah. It's, I, the one thing that I <laughs> did not, the scene that I did not remember in this movie that I'm shocked I didn't like, because it's so memorable. <laughs> I did not remember anything about the pregnant lady in the elevator. Oh, and the speculum of life, <laughs> the speculum of life. That was when you when you brought up the movie's kind of inappropriate. That was the first like I was like, that whole scene is crazy. Like I can't that, just the fact that it was written is crazy. Yeah. But everything about that moment is wild, and it just comes out of nowhere because they're just like they're trying to their neighborhood watch, right? And some girl uh-huh. comes up like, "There's a lady stuck in my elevator, in my building," and then they go in and she is like having a baby right then. And then, and then there is, I mean, it's got funny lines within it. Like the one that was in the trailer where he's like, I'll have to see your thing. But then when, after the baby's born, he goes, I'm a father. <laughs> Nobody corrects him. <laughs> no, no. And the fact that once everything's done um, and he's like hanging there like Batman kind of. And she goes, what's your name? And they Daylon Greer, who's standing right next to this woman, like right next to her, says, <laughs> he's gone blank, ma'am, like clearly says those words. And she goes, blank, man, <laughs> like she hears it as it's like, I don't they needed like some more noise going on in the background or something to make it clear why she thought he said blank, man, because it was like he was right next to her. And he says, he's gone blank, ma'am, like he has a pause and everything. So that was wild. But. Yeah, and she's holding like a newborn baby, too. You could have easily been just like, let's have the baby crying a little bit. So, I mean, they're obviously not focused on those tiny details. They're they're busy trying to execute a scene where this guy has to lubricate a speculum and then insert it into the elevator doors (laughs) and crank it open. But again, it's like, wow, Daryl really had the foresight to, like, build this crank machine out of some tools that he stole from the gynecologist's office. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of his stuff is junk, right? And so we we see that when rather oh, that's, that's rather a great than line money, too. Sorry, when she says he says it's junk, and she goes, "But it's great junk." I like that line. That was good. But go ahead. It, it is great junk, and I think one of my like favorite takeaways from it this time is that the production design for all the junk is really good. I mean, granted, like J five is very janky, you know, all of his tools his like, you know, motorized nunchucks, like all the stuff that he uses is very like janky designs, but somebody still had to actually design all of these things. That's, you know, pretty low tech versions of these, you know, higher end items that he envisioned. So just the foresight to, do those kind of things like i found that the um what is it the blank what's that the blank wheel i called it blank wheel like, yeah yeah the blank wheel is really cool you get a motorcycle that rides along the train tracks in the city like that's a really nice vehicle for a superhero regardless of it being blank man or anybody else it seems like something that batman would have that's that might be my favorite or the my biggest laugh in the movie is <laughs> he's like uh, it's rush hour. There's a speeding train right behind me. Jump on. <laughs> don't don't be afraid. And so she's about to jump on. He goes, don't touch the third rail. You're dead. <laughs> the way he says that is so good. And then he's like, come on. <laughs> but don't touch the third rail. You're dead is just as he's trying to convince her to jump on as a speeding train is right behind them. It's just too good. I, 
I love that. But yeah, I like the blank. Well, I've forgotten about that gadget, but like as soon as he's on it, the the joke about where she's trying to talk to him and he has to keep stopping. That's not a great joke for me. It's okay, but I just they they milk it a little too much. A little. Yeah, I was like, okay, all right, just stop talking. You know what's going <laughs> on. Like <laughs> you get what's going on. Yeah, just just shut up, Kimberly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I get I like the first time, okay. And then maybe even the second time. But then it's like maybe even I think they do it like a third and maybe even a fourth time, and like to the point where the train is like literally about to run them off the track. And then finally, it's like, okay, let's just hit the gas and go. And then they're about to get into that same joke again when Dag hops on the wheel and he's like super impressed by it, too, because I think they've all sort of written him off as like a wannabe do-gooder. And so to be in a position where they actually like see his potential and recognize it is something that I think is actually really rewarding in this movie, because you you are faced with this world that doesn't believe that like a person like this can exist, let alone make a difference. So then when they're kind of confronted with the fact that some of his gadgets work, some of the things he's doing actually work, they're actually like really surprised in a positive way. And it's maybe not the core of the film, but it, it stuck out to me this time watching it. Cause you know, it had been 20 something years. Yeah. Yeah. Like even the functionality of like when they're toward the end in the in the glass cage about to drown. <laughs> um, he's like J5 gingerly on his way. Great joke. J5 <laughs> is just rolling his way down the uh, steps, but just that he can come in and has like a tool to like pierce through the glass to like let the water out. I, just all that stuff like. And then, of course, the uh, the belt is cool, too, The like where you can communicate and it's got the <laughs> tracking device made out of like a can of spam. <laughs> yeah, the gadget stuff all works really well. It's all really funny and it's all kind of like it makes you nostalgic for. You just don't see stuff like that, I feel like, anymore in movies like that kind of. I don't even know if it's creativity. It's just like a level of like. Uh, I don't even know what you would say, but like it feels 80s to me. It feels like a remnant of the 80s, like a weird science back to the future yeah. type. Yeah, just thing that they just completely phased out eventually in the 90s, I would say. That kind of uh, gadgetry that's fun to experience again. Yeah, and we saw we went to the Back to the Future, what was it, like 40th, 35th anniversary, something like that. Back to the Future Day they showed it in theaters and it's like you see that like i mean the delorean was basically like a junk car when mm -hmm. that movie was made and then he turns it into a time machine so it was this sort of like repurposing of trash into treasure that just doesn't seem to exist in the same way we got more fascinated with like the James Bonds of like, ooh, like he's going to shoot rockets out of his headlights and his watch has got a garrot in it and he's going to strangle somebody or it's got a laser beam shooting out of it. So we like those all those gadgets are really cool, too. But in this, we get to see like literally he's, you know, turning garbage into like functional weaponry. And I think there is something to be said for that in in the character design at the very least, because it's one thing to sort of show us the application of the tool but they took the time to be like here is the item 
here's an explanation of what it is, what it does. And it just sort of like foreshadows later in the film, like why these things are going to be important. And I like that it took the time to do that here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what was the, the one I forgot about was at the beginning when he's working in the shop and the, uh, is it the fly catcher? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. 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 And he's like, you have to watch out or it'll try to chase you around. And he ends up breaking everything in the, <laughs> the lab. But that's what gets him like on the track with the bulletproof, I believe, mm-hmm. when he spills that stuff. Yeah. So it all kind of ties in. I was curious if you um so I kind of touched on this a minute ago, but talking about Minelli, played by an actor named John Polito. Mm-hmm. Everything about his performance to me, like everything, body language. The way he slowly raises up from the ground, like yep, it's all Danny DeVito as the penguin, just without the costume. <laughs> Even yep. at the end, when he they he rolls him into the paddy wagon, like the way he's like legs kick when he goes <laughs> like when he goes in backwards, like it's so penguin esque. I just was like, I mean, I understand that that I okay. So if it's based on the old Batman, I understand basing a character sort of like that penguin. But that penguin is very different from Dan Vito's actual penguin character. I feel like that's what that guy was leaning on for inspiration. I may be the only person who thought that, but I was wondering if you had any, if you got any parallels there. Oh, no, he he definitely is the penguin. Like in in this in this world where Daryl is Batman and Kevin is Robin. This guy, Michael, the suit Minnelli is certainly the penguin and honestly like i was super jealous i was like his vest and tie combos are fantastic like (laughs) they really they really made sure to like dress him up and coordinate his outfits in a way that they didn't have to like you could have just dressed him like a regular like mob boss give him a nice suit you know have it match and be coordinated but he's got some like floral patterns he's got some paisley ties and pocket squares like they really did a nice job with that and so i can see if i didn't even notice this in the movie but I see here that the character name is listed as the suit. And I don't necessarily remember that being said explicitly as like his trademark as a crime boss is that he loves fashion kind of thing. You know, I'm trying to remember for some reason, I feel like I can remember in the Daryl Cadence saying like the suit, but (laughs) I don't know if I'm (laughs) making that up myself, but yeah, like he, I mean, his fashion was on point. I got You're right about that. (laughs) <laughs> he's just like i don't know like his henchman too or like the guy who came in and shot <laughs> shot the ladies up like that man looks so familiar to me i need to look up that guy because i feel like he was in he had to have been in like a seagal movie or something like that like he was he just has that face he's like one of those guys one of those villains from all the late 80s early 90s movies i feel like so i need to look him up was it was it mr crud or was it tony the match <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I gotta see. <laughs> no, I have to see. Let's I mean, see. those are good henchman names, though. I gotta say, it might have it might have been Joseph Salo. He was Tony the Match. That seems like the kind of guy you would send to kill uh, an old lady. I think it was Tony the Match. Yeah, like I just all these character actors from back in the day. Like I miss that too. Like just seeing like there'd be like a deep bench of actors, and they're all people you would see like. <laughs> the guy who played gay man on the TV, <laughs> the Greg Kinnear hosted talk show. Right? Shows oh my point. God. <laughs> that guy was in so much stuff. Like he was in, I remember he had a part in uh, another movie that I liked that probably qualifies for your show called clean slate with Dana Carvey, mm. uh, a detective movie. That's a lot of fun, but 
some people hate and i don't think it did very well anyway he's but yeah just guys like that it would show up in so much stuff that's kevin west yeah he was in junior gone in 60 seconds uh he was in the 93 a... super mario brothers movie house guest <laughs> yeah pursuit of happiness i mean that's probably like some highbrow stuff in comparison to a lot of other these credits He's probably in only movies that qualify <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll have a whole month just dedicated to him to kevin west yeah uh <laughs> but yeah you mentioned uh like greg kinnear and this like jerry springer like show that we've got mm. this is actually greg kinnear's feature film debut was was he on e yet i wonder if he was doing talk yeah, yeah that's a good question this is 94 i want to say yes because it seems yeah, like maybe. he had that run up until probably like 91 96 yeah somewhere in that range but yeah to see that he like is just kind of like thrown away in the background of this movie and to think of just like i mean we did mystery men for uh September where greg kinnear is a main character in that film and so to see this not well, four or five years before mystery men and then to see like where his career trajectory ended up it's kind of crazy to think that he started where we're not even on set with them we're not in the audience like this isn't a scene that takes place inside the studio where this show is happening. This is something right. that was filmed and put on a TV in the background, but went through the trouble of having like midget man, gay man. And I was like, I just was laughing. I was like, this segment is nuts. The fact yeah. that they decided to include this in the movie, first of all, and then uh, put it in the movie the way that they did. Just a very, very uh, inspired choice. And Tony Cox as uh... yeah. Yeah. Midget man. <laughs> yeah. But like the weird thing about the Greg Kinnear thing is I who would have had to have been on TV because the next year, 95, I think, is the Sabrina remake. And he's like the third lead in that. Mm. So it's like he had to. Yeah, I bet he was big on TV at that point because all of us like the next couple of years, it's like Sabrina, then Oscar nominated for as good as it gets really soon after that. The next year, if not two years, like it's crazy how fast he kind of blew up there. Like as far from TV to movies, because people didn't really do that back then. Actually, <laughs> as good as it gets is a good example. Cause Helen hunt was one of the only uh, other few to do that. Go from TV, big TV success to movies. Yeah. What was it? What was her show? Mad about you. Mad about you. Yeah. yeah. That was a good I remember, one. I watched that. I think, back in I think my parents used to watch it and I would like catch it once in a while, but it's one of those Did ones like, used to see in syndication but not anymore like yeah it just kind of has gone away syndications I, gone away in general yeah i mean i mostly watched it in syndication but didn't they bring it back like a reboot of it like a year they or two did ago? i forgot about that they did Never. try to bring it back and i don't know how it did i'm guessing it's not around anymore not well enough because we have no yeah. idea what we're talking about <laughs> well now we've got a fraser where uh oh my god <laughs> somebody pointed out i heard them talking about the new fraser and they were just saying like this is how poorly researched the new Frasier thing is. He is he plays like Frasier as always. He's hanging out with his son, who his son okay. is now like the version of his dad who like loves sports, and drinks beer. And Frasier is with hanging out with his son and his friends, and he's complaining that everybody keeps pronouncing Celtic Celtics wrong because they're talking about the sports team. Mm -hmm. He thinks it should be, you know, the traditional pronunciation of Celtics. Somehow this is forgetting that he spent so many years of his life in a bar in Boston, a sports bar in Boston. 
Frazier was in cheers so right. much. Like he knows who the Boston Celtics are and he knows why they're not. It's just, yeah. I was like, that That makes me just want to check out on that reboot anyway. <laughs> but I wish they would reboot Blank Man. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think the the soil for Blank Man is pretty rich. And I think at the time that it came out, it was it was just in a tough spot. I'm glad that, you know, Damon Wayans got to do this. And I mean, he had to commit to this role in a way that I think few actors could because he's playing this from such like a childish adult perspective. Like he can't break everybody else around him can be normal but like if he breaks at any point like the whole thing is thrown out of whack so to commit not only to like write this story and to sort of like shape this into a kind of batman story for this neighborhood in chicago or detroit or wherever but to then like give yourself over to the role in this kind of way is is really impressive and i don't know if he's maybe a name that gets as much uh credit as as he deserves coming especially coming out of in living color yeah well i was curious i just looked it up because i forgot to look it up before but i was curious when this was released because i was like at what point did this come out like what was it opening against not only was it the same year as jim carrey's year i guess it would be impossible for if you release a movie in 1994, it's impossible to avoid Jim Carrey. But it's only <laughs> three weeks after The Mask came out, and The Mask Ooh. is a huge hit. So, yeah, if you're looking and like, it's kind of slim pickings as far as comedies go. So it's like it probably got overshadowed by the. I mean, this is the summer that like Forrest Gump randomly takes over, and no one can believe that it like lasts forever. But I'm like, The Mask probably is taking over like so much of the it's siphoning off a lot of the <laughs> audience that might go to blank man if it was positioned elsewhere. But it's just crazy to look through this list of these movies. Like I remember that most of these movies and you're just like, this doesn't happen anymore. There's it never doesn't. four, four movies released on one weekend that are all just like happy to make $30 million. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It seems like the whole model has kind of changed. Like, and we saw it this year too, especially where it was like, Hey, this, the Taylor Swift concert movie wasn't even supposed to be a thing. And then it's like, Hey, we're coming to this release schedule. And then you've got these other movies that are like, fuck clear out. And then I yeah. think especially, Exorcist. yeah, <laughs> I mean, not like there's going to be the same audience anyway, but you look yeah. at like sort of how this summer was structured and it's like, they all sort of just like had a week. And I think the studios sort of worked with each other in the way that um, like cable providers did over the last I don't I don't cable's not really a thing anymore, but how like Spectrum or Charter would have the the Southwest and then Cox Cable would have uh, the Southeast. And so regionally, you would only have like the single cable provider so that there was no competition. And then that kind of became the model with films. I mean, you know that when a Marvel movie is releasing, if you're a movie that is going to attract some of the same audience, you don't want to compete. So you just let them have their window and you like go into the shadows or you go to limited release and then just jump straight to VOD or something. So it's, it is crazy to think that there was a time not all that long ago where you could just release good movies in the same week and like let the audience see them and make their own decisions about it rather than sort of like colluding the industry into 
propping up your box office numbers because it's like, oh, hey, the Marvel movie is releasing this weekend. We don't want to compete against that. And then that becomes the only option because the theater knows that this is going to make money. So we're going to put that in IMAX. We're going to put it in Dolby. We're going to put it in Prime. We're going to put it in whatever other premium formats we can and just milk the shit out of that. So our 16 screen theater, half the screens are showing the Marvel movie. And then the other half are showing stuff that like is still sort of barely earning money at that point. Yeah, that was sort of the problem with uh, Mission Impossible, I believe. Like, basically, I think the consensus was they should have pushed it back to earlier in the summer. He tried to compete. Yeah, yeah. He tried to compete Dead Reckoning Part One. First of all, I think the movie didn't do well because it's called Dead Reckoning Part One. Yeah. If you're, I, I think any movie that, I mean, I get that's better to me than trying to trick people like Spider Man did, Spider Verse did. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think if you just seeing a title dead reckoning part one kind of makes a certain group of people just check out. So like, I want to see a completed story if I'm going to a movie and that is, but it's a great movie. It's very good. But um, yeah, he was stubborn and wanted to compete with like, well, Barbenheimer, mm-hmm. which I think probably, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be quite as big as it was. Barbenheimer. I mean, people yeah, thought it, it, would it be was a like a deal. joke. And then it was like, the joke got so popular that everyone was like, well, I'm going to see both of these. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, amongst our group of friends in the film club, we generally, you know, see all these things anyway. So it was kind of interesting to see it just like spiral into this big thing. And then, yeah, there was the pissing contest with, you're not going to release my movie in IMAX because Christopher Nolan has sort of bullied you into uh, monopolizing IMAX with Oppenheimer. So I think they did delay it by like two weeks or they bumped it up two weeks. I can't remember exactly which. They bumped up Mission Possible, yeah, a week or two. Um, but from what I was like, from what I was reading, they were saying like it probably would have been better if he had just said we'll release it earlier in the summer to give it more time. Cause actually, I think it was a week. <laughs> I want to say Mission Possible during might have come out the week before Barbenheimer, <laughs> which is wild and then but i i mean of course still the numbers you look at when you see that mission impossible quote unquote failed it did like huge numbers but in comparison to yeah it's just an annoying model now everything's got to be like the biggest movie ever and like you said if you want your movie to avoid a marvel movie or a superhero movie good luck because they're out every two weeks almost that's an exaggeration but they're constantly coming out with I mean, now I think they're finally getting to the point where people aren't buying tickets as much. So they're like, oh, shit, we're going to have to do something else because people are getting fatigue of superhero movies, basically. Yeah, I've had that fatigue my whole life, but except yeah, for Blank Man. <laughs> and it's like, I, I like superhero movies. I still go and see them, but I can also be like, hey, I wish there was more of these other things that I could see as well, because when I'm really like pimping out my A-list and my movie pass, it's like I could be seeing like 15 to 20 movies in theaters a month. And there's been a couple weeks this year where I'm just like, I've seen everything that's actually out at the theater. So what do I do now? Like I just have credit. I can't really do anything with it. I don't want to see any of these movies a second time. And then the indie theater is like beholden to the big releases too. So they're like, well, we have to, you know, dedicate screens to the big stuff. So they're not really giving me as much variety as I would like either. And I think there is room for like all of these things to sort of be able to eat and eat well. I mean, if you look at just total like box office receipts, I don't think there's any slowdown of people going to the movie theaters. Yeah. No, and like, yeah. Well, it's funny that you said that because like, 
I feel like that so much of the year that that feeling you said where you're like, I don't really want to see. I mean, in your case, you, so you, you've probably seen them already. I had the feeling where I'm like, I don't really want to see these big movies. Like, I feel like I'm wasting money sometimes on like a list. But then it's this time of the year where I feel like I make my money back because yeah. they start finally releasing the movies like. There'll be like three movies released at once that'll be like all Oscar contenders, quote unquote, like movies yeah. are supposed to be good. So I just like load up on those during this time of the year to feel like I'm <laughs> not wasting my money. But weirdly enough, the small indie theater here, which doesn't have like an A-list type thing. I mean, you can get a membership, but mm. they, they've they been playing Taylor Swift on the weekends, too. They couldn't. They had to do it, too. I'm not sure how that worked out, but uh, <laughs> I mean, good for them. They made money, but it's just like um, I was surprised to see that they were also opening up Thursday through Sunday to Taylor Swift, which is a fine concert film i i didn't even rate it on letter i didn't even know what to star rate it i was like i'll give it a heart and say this is good i liked it but i don't know how to i don't know how to star rate that concert i don't know it's like yeah it's just a concert yeah i had a good time the crowd was lively uh yeah it felt like a very good concert to film and put on camera because of like sofi stadium being a nice venue in general to look at and uh, it having like the ability to build this big ass stage out and do all these kinds of ideas they wanted to do visually. So like we have tickets to the Pantages, so we see a lot of stage shows in general. So from that uh, perspective, like the production design of their show, I, I was very impressed and we saw it in Dolby. So the sound was great and everyone was having a good time. So I had fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, you know, I didn't. Uh, if this show came here. My sister saw it in person and she was like, I, I didn't. I mean, I liked Taylor Swift. Okay, but I wasn't going to go to the movie. But she was like, she wanted to go, and she was like, "You really need to go. This show's great." So I went. And, yeah, it was enjoyable. Uh, I didn't really have the experience of having a rowdy theater, which I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Mm. Um, the people in my theater were pretty respectful. Everybody just kind of sitting there with their hands in their laps watching. But uh, yeah, I saw it could, could have been a lot more. Uh, I don't. I, I feel like they should have done like they do in L.A., where they have rowdy screenings of st- certain movies. Yeah, like I heard like they had a rowdy screening when Cats came out, and that would have been fun. I think. Oh yeah, that probably would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, I still I still haven't seen that. Oh, it's hilarious and terrible, but yeah, but, I, but weirdly <laughs> compelling. I don't know how to explain it. Like I, I'm very, I didn't really know how to rate that one either. I was like, I know this is bad, but I kind of enjoyed it <laughs> in a weird way. So well, you you come to the right place for that. I know Sean loves cats as well, so maybe I'll oh, yeah. I'll bring him on for a cats episode at one point in the future. But to Blank Man for now. You want to do some trivia on Blank Man? Sure. Do it. Right. For trivia. Let's see. Okay. All right. Question number one. Which video game system does J5 have installed for his cartridge updates? Um. <laughs> I'll say uh, Sega Genesis. Ding, ding. Is that right? It is right. I know they don't ever actually like show the system, I don't think, but they show Damon with a cartridge in his hand that he's like uploading new information into J5 to turn him into the bomb defusal unit or whatever. I was like, this must be in a deleted scene. (laughs) I was like, I know this wasn't in the movie, but I'm just guessing around the time period. Yeah, there we go. There you go. All right. Question number two. Uh, 
we we talked about Damon Wayans had uh, written the script with J.F. Lawton, but J.F. Lawton had originally uh, written a version of this script as Fart Man for which talk radio personality? Howard before... Stern. That's right. Sorry. Two for two. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. I didn't mean to. Oh, it's fine. Uh, I, I was broke like, the I broke the Alex Trebek rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, do I put Fart Man in there or not? Because it'd probably be a little slightly trickier question without that, but. It's fine. Uh, but yes, it was originally worked for Howard Stern. So again, like when we talk about sort of the the raunchiness, like the rated R uh, foundation for this film, I think it probably would have been pretty rated R and some of the raunchy humor that we get in this about like the the orgasms and like him speculum. hitting on Robin Gibbons. Yeah, the speculum of life, those kind of things, I think were really uh, more for Howard Stern's audience than they were for Damon Wayans' audience, but I liked that they were able to embrace it in a way that sort of like found that happy medium. Uh, question number three, third and that final. That makes a question. lot, a lot of sense actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like that makes sense why it was this way. Why so many things in this movie are this way? I understand now. Yeah, I kind of want to see a Fartman movie now that exists like in the universe of Blank Man, but you yeah. know, I, I don't think we're gonna get that. Uh, <laughs> but question number three it says there are clocks in the hard edition office set to different times one is chicago so i guess the movie was chicago one is hoboken new jersey and the third one is what oh uh okay so it'd be somewhere on the west coast let's say uh san francisco you would mm. think so but it's actually set to miller time Oh, <laughs> nice. And so that's that's where we get uh, Jason Alexander in his in his bald cap and yeah. uh, his wheelchair as I mean, there's a scene where there's a couple with him. But the one that sort of like made me chuckle was I think he, I think it's David Alexander. He sits down in. Oh, no, walk. it was uh, it was Manelli. He sits him down with me when in the office with me. Yeah. And he drags him in yeah. the office yeah. chair with his wheelchair. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so like yeah. subtly funny, but in a way that really, I don't know, like I should be laughing at this or not. I mean, it's meant to be funny, but I don't know that I'm supposed to think that's as funny as it is. I wrote that down too. And he, yeah, he says, take, a, take a walk with me he sits on the chair and then he pulls it along. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, because it just like it it really without like hitting you over the head with it. It's like this who this is who this character is. And this is like his personality type. And it was just like a nice little subtle thing they did in the background to really like punch that up. And I mean, Jason Alexander is very good at being just like the kind of smarmy prick he is in mm -hmm. this. And when he gets all that hot coffee poured in his crotch and it's just oh, like, yeah. he's like, don't you see that I'm sitting in a wheelchair? I'm paralyzed from the waist down. I can't feel anything. Yeah. And then he gets smacked around in the face a few times and eventually. Said, that. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, did and you then, notice? I was going to say real quick. We, yeah. when we went in the hard edition office. I paused it to see what the board of stuff was. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so the, like it was, that was when they were throwing the darts to figure out what the story would be because they didn't the have stories story to make up based on right. these random topics they have listed. The certain things were repeated. Uh, public spanking was on there twice. <laughs> nude, nude, nude hayrides was on there twice. <laughs> just certain things just kept the Pope was on there a couple of like just I don't it was just funny to pause like they clearly it was a gag just for like a quick glimpse yeah. and move on. 
but it was funny to pause it and look go through all the crazy stuff they had on there but yeah, yeah the, the props funny. guys and the production team really had to be like well what would be the crazy stories that we see in the globe right oh pope has nude hayride with uh alien <laughs> yeah. abductee kind of thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and i want to say there was um we we talked about J5 a little bit but there's a moment later in the film it's like they're in the office building at the time like they're dealing with like the final conflict and he's coming down the hallway and they're running with him and they go around the corner and like there's just a random arm sticking out from around the corner so they didn't take the time to edit out the guy who is like there to catch the robot as he like turns oh the corner because i imagine like they had to remote pilot it some way and so you've got dag and you've got damon running down the hall and turning the corner and you, there's just this arm sticking out at the very end as they're turning oh, wow. the corner like they're about to grab the robot because it's like maybe it doesn't turn all that well kind of thing uh <laughs> and i was just like oh wow i was like they didn't even take time to edit that out i need to re- i need to uh do i still have it because I also rented it for four dollars, and oh, I think yeah. I had it for twenty for forty eight hours. I might still have it. I'm definitely <laughs> going to go back and watch this. We're at the end of that forty eight hours right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to see it. Like that is, I love the shit like that. Like there was somebody pointed that out to me recently. Like I was watching. Um, do you remember the Great Outdoors? Mm-hmm. The scene where the bear busts in and starts like havoc in the thing. Like you can see, like the trainers, like stick, like bang, like hitting the bear <laughs> to get him riled up when he's supposed to roar. It's pretty funny. Like I love shit like that, so I have to go back and watch it. <laughs> Look for the arm to catch J five. And then uh, there was one other thing that, well, there's a couple other things that I just don't want to forget about. One of them is that in um, you you've got blank man creating all these devices and one of them is uh like a fart weapon like a fart bomb which he very quietly says like he harvested from david allen greer while he was sleeping yeah and so they don't like they don't touch on that but the idea that he's like sitting in his brother's bedroom like bottling his farts while he's sleeping uh is kind of like sick and demented but yeah i think it also like fits the sort of the very like ground level ingenuity of this character because he's trying to do what he can with what he has and if this is the thing that he has then so be it and i think he weaponizes one of them once oh he throws it into the vault with the criminals yeah. uh at the bank robbery and they're all like choking on it yeah he... and he's like they, they, they chase the criminals out so they don't get the money, but then they the place blows up anyway. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, I, I guess we're supposed to feel like, well, we won sort of, except the mayor's dead and the money's blown up. So <laughs> no one gets the money. You know, I don't. Yeah, We can't give it to the people who are outside waiting for it. Yeah. But, it's like the life of a rookie superhero. Yeah. <laughs> but him like collecting that for the stink bomb or whatever is like, yeah, it feels very in line with the arrested development of that character. Like he feels like a nine year old in a lot of ways. So that sounds about right. You're right. That is something he would do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that also reminds me of why I asked you if this was in Detroit, because I felt like there was a lot of like connections to Robocop as well. Uh, mm. You've got like the police about to go on strike. You've got this moment at the bank where the people like they're out of money and the people are all in the streets and you have like this like 
civil uh, tension building up outside. And then we get J5 in the stairwell, like uh, Ed 209 doesn't really know how to like handle the stairs, but he's got to go down them anyway. So that's why I was like, did they make this in Detroit because of like RoboCop's existence there? And I mean, you know, RoboCop has a lot of uh, news segments featured on it as well. So. It's and possible. you get the POV shots. The POV shots are good. There's are yeah. almost RoboCop-esque. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little bit. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Mike Binder had seen RoboCop at the time of making this film. And so if you want to, like, include your influences there a little bit as well, that's totally fine. I love RoboCop. Uh, and the other thing was the way we get to this moment where Blank Man has come back from meeting uh, Kimberly Johns at the blank station and she kissed him and he ejaculates in his pants and then he comes home and he's trying to describe what's going on like to his brother and you know he he says something he's like oh it's probably just like a friendly kiss or something like that and you're talking about her tongue in his mouth but the way he described it as he felt like he was laying on a bed of feathers with q-tips in both ears spinning real fast and i was like you know what I do enjoy a good Q-tipping, so I could see why <laughs> I could see why he enjoys that so much. No, uh, but no. I've never heard anyone really like reference uh, the pleasure of Q-tipping in this way. So I definitely wanted to shout out to Damon and Lawton, whoever put that in the script. I appreciate it. Well, uh, this might be leading us down the wrong direction, but to split hairs for a minute about <laughs> what's <laughs> happening to him at the end of the movie and in the scene with a kiss, I think that. I thought that was just the sound he makes when he gets an erection because he doesn't. It's possible. Know. It is. Possible. I didn't. I didn't see it as anything was happening. Like <laughs> I didn't. He. Yeah. There was no nothing there as far as my interpretation of. Yeah. I. I don't think anything was coming to fruition there. But you saw it as he was actually. I mean, he's on happening. the ground like convulsing. So whether or not I he's know, arrived but... at the station or not, he's on the train. <laughs> he's on the train. But I thought I thought like they were trying to make the joke of that. Like he has been so sheltered. He doesn't even know what like arousal is. So it's like happens to him. He's like, what the fuck is this? So that he's just like, I don't know. But it, it's interesting. I mean, it can be taken different ways. They don't answer the question. They leave it for us. They determine. don't. And I like that, you know, Kimberly her character is just like, oh my God, this is so cute. Yeah, she wouldn't be as charmed. <laughs> she wouldn't be nearly as charmed by it if he was coming in his pants, I don't think. I do well, not think. True, I don't true. think she would be laughing about it. I think she'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> if this movie took place in reality, yes, that would probably true. be cause true. for uh, concern. <laughs> 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 and maybe, maybe I just looked at it as like, hey, he's never been with a woman. He's like in his 30s like like you said he doesn't really even know like what arousal is so the line between like him being aroused and him arriving at completion i don't know <laughs> that he understands that line so no. i just like that he's like j5 what's happening to me and he's like thrusting and like he yeah. can't really like figure it out so maybe he does maybe he doesn't we'll leave that up to the the viewers who rent this also you're, you're gonna get your four dollars worth this also like ties in with this like it's there's a through line to there because he's meant there's two times in the movie where he mentions like he's not really sure how to become a father. He doesn't even yeah. know how that happens. <laughs> he just thinks he's the father because he delivered the baby. He just oh, held man. a baby and he's the father. <laughs> oh, yeah. What was the line she said? Oh, when she's grabbing 
the woman in the air, uh, elevator. Your finger's so you big. Have a, you have a big finger. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, like, and I mean, obviously, she knows she's not holding his hand at that point. So, yeah. but enhanced finger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I like that he takes it as a compliment as she's like crushing yeah. his junk as well. Uh, yeah. And I know that we don't have the benefit of Metacritic to to guide us here because they've erased this from existence. But Rotten Tomatoes has still kept this one in existence. So we get to go to the Rotten Tomatoes reviews for Critics Corner. Nice. And let's see. We've got, got two positive reviews. I'm going to find one that's a zero first. Okay, here we go. This is... Zero. Yeah, this is... Brant Bingamon from the Austin Chronicle rated as top critic, but this is a review from 2003 as well. So not somebody that watched it in 94, not somebody that watched it now, but somewhere in between. And he says, Blank Man's use of the cheesy effects from the Batman TV show, including Polito trying to imitate the penguin, was initially a good idea, but the execution is simply horrible. And this is what winds up ruining the film. Okay. He- he, I mean, he, <laughs> it was good. He it seemed like he had some traction there. Like, okay, this didn't end up working, but I think it only doesn't work if you take it seriously. Like, he fits it. Like, this character fits in with this fake world that they've built. If you're really looking at it, like, oh, this is, uh, supposed to be Batman, which it's not. Yeah. Then, like, I, I don't think you can hold Polito responsible here for his uh, portrayal of the character. But he too saw this as a portrayal of the Penguin. He's not, yeah, and he, he's not in the movie enough to ruin the movie. <laughs> like, if you don't have, if you have such a big problem with him, good news, he's in 15 minutes of a hour and a half movie, so you're good. You're on the clear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm glad he also felt Penguin vibes, because I was getting strong Penguin vibes, for sure. Yeah. Brant, Brant, Brant should have, uh, Brant, that, that's a bad faith review from Brant. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know who made him watch this in 2003. He feels victimized. I know. Yeah, somebody gave him like a stack of old VHS tapes from the night. Right. Watch these. And now we're doing like a 20 year anniversaries for 1994. <laughs> so get ahead of the curve on this. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's see. Next, we're going to go to this is going to be Scott Weinberg from eFilmCritic.com. He says, aims for the most simplistic sort of slapstick and fails even at that. And this is also a 2002 review. So another review, you know, well after this movie has released. And I mean, if there's one thing this movie does really well is it embodies its slapstick humor pretty wholeheartedly. It doesn't really pull up. I mean, we've got like the speculum of life. We've got the dick jokes. We've got the the fart canning we've got all kinds of slapstick stupid humor in this movie i feel like i feel like reviewing blank man from these people's perspective in 2002 or three is different than in 1994 you're just figuring out who the wayans family is by 2002 you possibly have wayans family fatigue because they've made a lot of movies some are not very funny I feel like you're you're almost penalizing this movie for having to watch another Wayans movie, but it's eight years after. I, I don't know. I just I feel like I'm getting a tone of like tired of these guys <laughs> from the, these reviews. Like I'm over it, and yeah, that's not fair to do because it was that. the first. It was like the first one, kind of in a way. Well, one of the first ones. 
I know. And then, I mean, we arrived even by the time we got to like Mystery Men at the end of the 90s. Or, I mean, we've seen, what was it? Uh, Super, which is a sort of a parody film. Kick-Ass kind of is a superhero parody film as well. So I think like the appetite for the superhero parodies sort of picked up at the end of the 90s, where this was like on the front half of the 90s, too. So it was not the best timing for it, but. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Because this was still like the the Batman films were still like pretty popular at the time. I mean, Schumacher took over after the 92 one. And mm-hmm. so they were still doing it. 95, 97. Was it 97 was the four last four. Like 97 was Batman and Robin. Was yeah. Four, and then then Nolan took over again in 05, I think. But yeah, it was like right in the middle of those two periods of Batman. So, yeah, they were still in the zeitgeist, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That was a that was a two or that was a one. Yeah, that was a one. So uh, there's so many there's so many <laughs> more bad movies to give one star reviews to than Blank Man. Like it's just a waste of a one star <laughs> review. I feel like I know. I feel like I need to go on Letterbox and start giving it a five. I know. So that way it just like boosts defend its, its honor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is uh, Jamie Broadnax from Black Girl Nerds. Uh, this is an April 15, 2022 review. Yeah. And she says, Blank Man at least tried to create a space for the black superhero, even if cinematically this film is a failure. There are probably young black boys and perhaps girls that watched in the 90s and finally saw themselves reflected as a superhero. This doesn't seem like the kind of thing you would say of a movie that you scored two out of five. It seems like a higher score. And it's like, it seems like she understands that this is not meant to be like a serious superhero movie, but still criticizing it for failing as such. But then like, Hey, this is good representation for yeah. the people that the film is made for in the first place, which it clearly is. Yeah. That's bizarre. Like, yeah, this, <laughs> this is a cinematic failure, but I'm glad it's here for, <laughs> for the representation. <laughs> and like, all right. Uh, I don't know. That's, Again, just some of these reviews feel like they're just bad faith review. <laughs> no, it's yeah. fine. I I can accept that people might not like this movie, but I don't know. Like, yeah, oh, I, that's isn't that sort of what um, what was the Robert Townsend movie you were mentioning? Uh, Meteor earlier? Man. That was sort of the similar thing at that, right? It was uh, a superhero movie set in like the African American space, so like it was sort of like that experience that hadn't like between those two movies at that time. Actually, you made me curious. I want to go back and watch Meteor Man because I, I was that one just missed me. I don't know how I just it feels like it'd be right in my wheelhouse at that age. But somehow I just oh. never saw it. I remember but. liking it, but I also think it was like slightly more serious in its tone. Like it's still a comedy, but it takes the nature of the superhero thing like a little bit more seriously than we get here, which we have like a script that was reworked, obviously, for Howard Stern into a vehicle for Damon Wayans. So, I mean, you can see some of that DNA playing out on screen, but I I don't think that's the fault of Damon or Dag or many people who gave good performances and had a lot of fun making this movie as well. Probably fewer speculum jokes in meteor man right yeah at least one fewer i would imagine <laughs> yeah at least one less yeah. uh okay we're gonna go to this is barbara schulgasser from common sense media she gave it a three out of five so the first positive barbara. first positive we got on the board it says nerdy inventor fights crime semicolon cartoonish violence comma cursing 
So, I mean, hey, she had fun with it. She doesn't really like give much of a critique at all. And this is from July of 2020 also. So, I mean, I'm glad that she was able to give it a positive score. That's uh, like an MPAA <laughs> description, like PG-13 for right cartoonish violence, cursing. Like, <laughs> Okay, it's well a, done, Barbara. I'm glad you liked it. It's an uninspired positive review, but it is a positive review nonetheless. Yeah, so thank you, we, we got to take what we can get. And then we'll close it out with uh, Stephen Holden who is a critic I know that name. top critic was, for the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, I remember he worked for he might work for LA Times at one point, but I remember that name from back in the day. He ended up giving it a 3 and a half out of 5, so nice. 7 out of 10 for our our 10 scale people. And this is a May 20, 2003 review. So he too had to go back and watch this for some project I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about. Why was everybody watching this in 2002 <laughs> to three? I don't understand why everybody watched this so late. Okay, okay so but hold on. Before I read that, the ones that are listed here as the critics that actually have reviews, we have 2000, 2000, 2000, 2002, 2002, 2002, 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003, 05, 05, 05, 08. 2020 2022 and 2022 so obviously like rotten tomatoes didn't exist i don't think when this movie they compiled them all around that time it must have been yeah okay because it's like in 2000 it seems like they started and then started adding all the reviews in there that Um, makes a lot more sense okay so it probably is stephen holden's review from when it originally came out it just was added in 2003 is what i'm going to tell myself yeah We'll we'll just have to accept that as the reasoning yeah, here. That's gotta um, be it. Yeah, but there's no excuse for these 2020 something reviews. <laughs> I know they but uh, they don't have they don't have Ebert's review on there by the way. Before I hear what Steven had to no. say, oh, that's that's crazy because I know he's got one because he's like all of his sometimes reviews are on the web the archive or whatever. But anyway, what did Steven say? Steven said that Blank Man plays it light and silly, but not so broadly that the movie collapses into chaos. Bingo! Look at that. Yeah. You're able to have fun with it. You know that it the tone of this movie at the very beginning, like I said, if you're not on board with them like flooding the house and the grandma sort of lecturing them about their sex habits and that kind of stuff, that's all in the first five minutes. Like if you're not on board at that point, then this just isn't going to be the kind of movie for you. And if you go into this like this is a black superhero movie, you're probably going to be disappointed because it's not Black Panther, right? Like. Black Panther is a significantly different entry into the same genre than this is. This is a comedy about a black superhero, not a black superhero film in that same way. Right. That's what that other girl was expecting. <laughs> that one. <review>. Right. <laughs> this is so different than Black Panther. I'm I'm yeah. shocked. It's a, Yeah, I'm glad it exists, but it's a failure. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was also going to say, like, I uh, I just thought of it when you were saying the opening about like the um the way it starts it also has a really good uh, a really good animated opening with like the the credits and the two of them um black man another guy yeah uh, like a full like batman style animated scene. it actually it looked like batman it also looked like when they used to do the ambiguously gay duo on mm-hmm. snl it had that that uh animation vibe and that was cool i like that a lot and then they had they even brought in the parts like you were talking about early and they do it again at the end in a fight where they bring in like the big words like pow and when they're hitting people. So all those like nice old timey comic touches are appreciated, I think. Yeah, I think that 
when you really like if, if you step outside of this and just like, OK, forget about like what you think of the movie, your experience with the movie for a second and look at sort of like the skeleton of it. Like this is fan service sort of like before that thing became popular. This is a movie about fans of Batman becoming their own version of Batman in a world that doesn't accept that. And I think like if you were to lay it out like that, it's it seems like a more palatable description of the film than something like what was it like nerdy gadgets uh warning for violence and comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cartoonish violence, yeah. <laughs> nerdy gadgets. Oh, <laughs> I forgot it already. <laughs> no, no, that's pretty close. I mean, she may as well have written that. She what is it like a seven word synopsis? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but person. yeah, since since you're such a big Siskel and Ebert fan, uh, Ebert in particular, let's uh, let's just see his review. It's two minutes long. We'll get to watch them uh, probably be pretty savage about this, but nice. I think I think it's OK. We've, we've done it before on this show. All let's right. See. All right. Let's go, fellas. What do you My got? boys? <laughs> there is a very silly comedy called Blank Man that tickled me mm. most of the time with some Big laughs before it sort of petered out at the end. Damon Wayans teams up with his old in-living color partner, David Allen Greer, in the story of a nerdy guy who becomes a neighborhood superhero, much to the amazement of his more cool brother. What do you think? If you walk out <laughs> on the street like that, they're going to arrest you and lock you in the nut house. They're funny together. The would-be crime fighter gets in trouble with the police, and the scene where his big brother springs him is pretty funny, too. Bye, guys. And remember what I said. I had the subtitles on during the scene, and one of the guys yells, "Suck my shit!" Robin oh, shit. <laughs> an underrated actress, I think, plays the love interest in the film, a TV reporter who sort of likes funky blank man. You better check your sources on that story, Manelli. You might have got a bad lead. <laughs> blank man. I see you finally got somebody here work with you who dresses worse than you do. <laughs> what is your name, that other guy? Well, I don't really have one yet. How about poorly dressed dead man? I found myself laughing a lot at Blank Man, more than I expected to. This is the kind of picture that Robert Townsend wanted to make with his African-American superhero comedy Meteor Man from last year. But Blank Man does work in the tradition of a silly Jerry Lewis huh. comedy. It's nothing but gags, but Wayans and Greer, who were so funny as the gay film critics on In Living Color, I think they work well together here. You know, I know you heard me laughing. We saw this picture together. You heard me laughing, some big laughs, laughs uh, during the film, and I enjoyed it. Well, I don't think you heard me laughing quite so much. <laughs> no. I was amused by a lot of the stuff. There were a couple of times Come on, Raj. that I thought were funny. But generally speaking, Gene, here I have the same problem that you had with actually Oliver Stone's film, which is ho a whole lot better, and that is there is no third act. I right. Mean, oh, they're I talking about no natural born killers, by the way. <laughs> what, a, what a parallel. <laughs> what a parallel. And uh, it's the kind of movie you could watch it on the late show, you could watch it on a video, uh, you could have fun with it up to a point, but I can't really recommend it. All right, well, I, and, and I, I had enough laughs in the first two acts that I say to someone, it's funny. All right, Roger, you, you could say, Roger, you could spend $4 renting it in 20 years, 30 <laughs> years, rather. <laughs> that's one of the things roger would say he's like yeah 30 years from now you could spend four dollars to rent it <laughs> yeah i mean he wouldn't be wrong here we are both of us spent money but renting it i think like gene was kind of on the money like it's yeah it's basically wall-to-wall -wall gags and they're funny that's all to me that it really has to be 
Yeah, and this is coming from guys that were, you know, basically doing sketch comedy for for yeah. years and really like sharpening their trade there on In Living Color. So it makes sense that it is a gag based film. And I I'm really intrigued by what he said about Meteor Man and that this is what Robert Townsend wanted to do is to make a movie that's more like Blank Man. So now I really want to go and find Meteor Man and see like what it is like in comparison, because it was the year before this. And like he's not coming from a place of working with uh, Damon and Dag and Jim Carrey and uh, Jamie Foxx, I think, was on in Living Color as well. So you've got like all of these guys who became like really good uh, comedic actors over time and even like good dramatic actors. So, yeah. I think I, I think I have to watch Meteor Man now this weekend. I got to make some time for it. Yeah, it didn't sound like they liked it, but like, yeah. yeah, they were they were saying like if. So this movie, I wouldn't I would say wall to wall gags is sort of a way to say, it, but I would say it also like we talked about, it does like kind of have room for some character development and some kind of sweetness in there. But if they didn't like this, I would say like it only gets further from this as the way ins films progress like it gets more and more gag heavy more and more like naked gun which they like naked gun movies just going okay. by the way so but i yeah it's like but that was hilarious to say i if i remember correctly gene just said that he wasn't crazy about a natural born killers where the, the direction the movie goes when they get in when they go to prison mm. in the thir- the last part of that movie and so roger ties it back and goes as you said with the previous film i don't like the third act of this movie. it's like <laughs> The draw parallel between Blank Man and Natural Born Killers is demented. It is, but I mean, <laughs> if you if you like Natural Born Killers and you wanna you wanna check out Blank Man, then we're not gonna stand in your way. Oh um, yeah, both good movies, I would say. Yeah, very very different. They have nothing in common <laughs> other than there's a scene where they end up in prison in both movies, uh, and that they seem to be maybe the same release weekend back in '94. Yeah, 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 maybe so. And I don't know. There, there's a lot. They're they're pretty much exactly alike. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're both savage commentaries on uh the media. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's one way to look at it. Maybe yeah. maybe Scott's gonna recommend Natural Born Killers as his pick. But before we do that and wrap things up, uh, is there anything about Blank Man that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to yet? Um, there are two scenes on the train that make me laugh. And they're kind of a similar joke, but so the first one is the lady's getting mugged. Uh, He jumps up, Daryl jumps up and fights, throws him out. And then he pulls out a knife. He goes, he's got a knife. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And the door closes. <laughs> but the lady goes, thank you. And then she sits down and she goes, the rest of you ain't shit. Yeah. <laughs> and the way she says that line makes me laugh. And then it's parallel with the scene later where after Daryl starts working at McDonald's, which is all the McDonald's stuff is funny to me too. Uh, the lady's getting mugged in front of him, like, and he just puts the McDonald's crew guy like handbook up above his face, and she gets mugged, and then she slaps it away. And goes, <laughs> "What did she say?" She says, "Uh, you like?" Oh, she said, "Weak, goofy bastard." <laughs> and he just like looks like rattled and gets up and moves back a seat, like he's like so <laughs> thrown by that. But I did like the. Ronald McDonald, like when he says, No, 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 I just start here. Ronald McDonald's coming next week. We gotta whip this place into shape. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the McDonald's stuff was good. There's just too many good jokes in this movie. It's all funny. I liked the like 90s RB soundtrack a lot. Um, it just 
just it's stuff from that. It's it's a very yeah, it's a very like transporting like time capsule type. Everything about it kind of feels that way to me. So, and probably I mean yeah, if I watch this movie today and I'd never seen it before, maybe I wouldn't like it as much as I do. But there's a part of it that feels nostalgic, and I really enjoy it. So. Yeah, it's a breeze too. It's like 90 minutes. It's so easy to watch. Perfect. I think it's like, yeah, 90, 92 minutes, something like that. So it's not going to take up a lot of your time. No. And the noon chucks. That's the last thing I'll say. The noon chucks. Are they like, you know, those toys where you used to have to like pull the cord to wind it up? Was it that? He has to wind it up at the end. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, (laughs) it's like a lawnmower. It's like you got to crank. Yeah. 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 yeah, (laughs) To get it to start. But um, yeah, good movie. Seven yeah. out of five, so or seven out of ten. <laughs> seven out of five. That's how good yeah. this movie is. You just yeah, got a seven out of five. The best movie ever made. No, yeah, I'd say like seven out of ten. That's what three and a half out of five is, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a really good time with it. I remembered so little of it that I think it gave me like enough clearance and enough distance from it to like appreciate the stuff that is very clearly adult that you definitely wouldn't pick up on as like a ten year old. And seeing all that really made me just appreciate the fact that like this movie got made in the first place. And, you know, it's it's one of those moments where it's like, hey, if we're going to make the movie that we want to make about a black superhero, like let's have fun with it and like not be pretentious and like not get bogged down and like the responsibility of the film and just Mm -hmm. do the stupid fun movie that we would have made if this were a sketch on in living color. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Not sad is probably not the wrong, not the right word, but like it's. First of all, I don't think this movie would really be made today, but if it were, it would it would be like buried on streaming. Like you would never hear of it or hear from. It's just it's nice to think that there was a time when this kind of goofy stuff could like just come to theaters. And even if it didn't make a million dollars or didn't make like 20 million dollars, it was I mean, it was considered, I suppose, a failure, but it wasn't like. Yeah, it wasn't like a devastating, destroyed anyone's career failure, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely not. Um, But who produced this? This was Columbia. Okay, so mm-hmm. who own, what streaming service is connected to Columbia? Because next well, year... Sony, would, Sony next year bought Columbia 30. and TriStar. So. Okay, so who does Sony? I don't know. Sony, I'm Put not it on sure PlayStation Network. Next year is the 30th anniversary. Sony, yeah. if you got any balls... Put this as a free streaming giveaway on the PlayStation Network because, I mean, it's not free. People pay for that, and I do, so. Hey, people need to be able to see it. It's not really readily available anywhere. Um, It really didn't do well box office-wise, which is probably... It's one of those things where it's like a movie fails financially, and if you know that before you see it, you automatically, like, dock points from it for that. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so this movie, like, didn't make its money back. And they're like, oh, it failed at succeeding financially. It's like, I don't think the goal of this movie was to succeed financially. It was to right. make the kind of dumb movie that it was. And it's surprising that it cost 30 million. That's the surprising part. But like it making seven, eight million dollars is not really super surprising. Yeah. Well, and then like the bottom line of it sort of is like for me, it doesn't feel like it was made to make money. It doesn't feel cynical at all. It feels like he was just very inspired by his childhood and by comic books yeah. to make it. And that's, it feels very pure in it's uh, Genesis, I guess you'd say. So I yeah, like that. And I think that's why like the Daryl character works, even though he doesn't like, he doesn't strike you as like 
a super realistic character. Although, I mean, like as we've as we've gone forward in time since the 90s, it's like being, you know, 30 and just like a huge nerd is not really like this thing that's uncommon and it's okay. So it may be a little bit ahead of its time in that way as well. But I'm going to ask you, like, what what movie would be a good gateway drug kind of movie to get somebody into Blank Man? It's probably not going to be Natural Born Killers. Mm. Well, that was my answer. So, <laughs> um, see, I feel like let's see. Okay, Blank Man. I feel like this is almost like a gateway drug to get into super other super. Like this was my gateway drug to get into superhero movies, kind of. Yeah. So, um, I my I guess the best thing you could watch if you were really wanting to like get in the right headspace for this would be to watch like an old episode of those Batman cartoons. Not cartoons, the old like '60s Batman with like Adam West. Yeah, didn't they make one movie from that as they well? They did make a movie. Watch okay. that movie. That yeah. would be a good way to start because it it would at least get you in the right. You would immediately recognize like half the references. I feel like if you had experience with that old '60s bat. Yeah, there is a movie, so that would be. Yeah, I guess that's my recommendation. Maybe, maybe the Meteor Man. I don't know. No, yeah. we'll, we we'll won't know re- until we'll we see it. Back on a future episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds me. like the Meteor Man might have tried to do something like this, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think I think if you watch the original Batman movie and then watch this, you would all the connective tissue would be there and you would really understand like where these characters are coming from. So you wouldn't have mm-hmm. to maybe like work so hard, but I would, I would maybe suggest the mask. I know that's another movie I've done on this show and a movie that a lot of people like a movie that had way more success than this. But I do feel like if you were to just watch them back to back, you could take them as two movies that exist in the same universe. And if yeah. you're willing, if you're willing to entertain the mask, uh, now you'd probably be a lot more willing to in- indulge this. Although the mask does present like the Jim Carrey that we basically know from many other films. Uh, so this is like Damon Wayans playing this very particular character. And it's a character choice that may rub people the wrong way, but do it. Check it out. I feel like the mask would make this movie seem like it was on downers. Like it would seem, <laughs> it would seem tranquilized compared to the mask. The mask is a lot i i like the mask but yeah <laughs> people would watch that and watch this and go god these people are calm throughout the whole movie They're, yeah these things and, there, and there's no mu- reasonable there's no musical numbers what in the world <laughs> there's not but this movie does have an original song that was written for it that plays i think over the either the opening credits or somewhere early there in the beginning which uh is pretty solid i thought you were gonna say the song was he was lowering himself down into the elevator the i'm almost there now Oh yeah. Just hang on, just hang on. <laughs> I think he's singing to the Batman music when he's doing that too. Yeah, isn't I think he? he is too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, this has so. been a lot of fun. I'm I'm so glad that uh that you picked this and we're able to reschedule and find a time that worked for both of us. Uh and this is gonna just go down as an honorary soup timber edition of the show. Nice. I'm glad we were able to get it in. Yes, sorry about the reschedule, but yeah, I'm glad we got to do it. This is fun. No worries. I mean, obviously, the rescheduling bug went around. I thought we were doing this on Wednesday, and then I had another oh, yeah. appointment that was conflicting, so I moved that around. And turns out I didn't have to record on Wednesday. So, God, I'm so glad I said, "Yeah, I'll see you Friday." <laughs> Me too. I would have just been, been like, like, "What in the world?" Yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh my God, did we did we mess this up again? A third time? Is it possible?" <laughs> he stood me up over blank man. All right. 
but yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be around tomorrow to talk Valley Girl for Film Club, but I'm looking forward to that as well. I still got to schedule some time tonight to watch that, but I'm excited to keep pushing forward with Nick Vember. Yeah, I'm going to try to watch it. Um, And so it's tomorrow at 10. Yeah, I think I'll be able to, like a stupid tennis gets in the way, but I'm going to try my best to make it tomorrow for at least part of it to talk about it. So I've never seen it, so I'll have to watch it Me tonight either. too. So, yeah. I know, I'm surprised. I get to check a very rare, unwatched Cage movie off the list. Who picked 8mm, by the way? I did. You did. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you hadn't seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I saw it. Okay. Yeah, I own the DVD, oh, yeah. so I was like, oh. I was able to just pull it off the shelf, but everybody else, for the most part, had to rent it. Uh, but yeah, it's like 8mm is one of those movies that like I saw in the late 90s, and I was like, oh, Joaquin, you know, Cage, Gandolfini, great cast, uh, just at, like a dark subject matter mm-hmm. and it wasn't this movie that i really like held in high esteem or anything i just had always liked it and i really hadn't revisited it in a long time and it was yeah because of the the nick cage draft we did last year in nick vember where i took eight millimeter and then it got eliminated so early in the contest and i was like well that seemed unjust so let's yeah. make everybody talk about it i think i benefited from <laughs> lowered expectations because as i mentioned i'm not a huge fan of joel schumacher's work so i was like oh i'm gonna hate this and i watched it like this is actually not too bad like i actually kind of liked it more than i thought i would so yeah i mean the performances were were good i mean the movie is like at two hours what three minutes something like that it's a little long it's like okay you could have cut out like 15 minutes of this movie and just like tightened it up but it's when i finally saw the end of it though because i didn't see it when we talked that that sequence of them in the house toward the end is is good it's like effective it's creepy i was kind of on the edge of my seat i was like what's gonna happen so cool yeah well i'm glad you had a good time with it but uh i'm more glad that we were able to get this sorted out because blank man it's so much fun like sure it's it's stupid and it's a little weird and unbelievable and all those things that would be attached to a project like this of the early 90s but have fun with it that's what it's there for yeah, it's super fun and uh, reminds me of childhood. So, yeah, it's a, it's a favorite in my heart. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. All right, but you too. Fuck there. Thank you. No problem. My many thanks to Scott for hanging out and talking Blank Man. Been a long time since I had seen that movie, and having an excuse to go back and enjoy the shit out of it was a whole lot of fun. You can find Scott on X at Cole, Scott, spelled out, and on Letterboxd, which I put the link up for. And you can see some of his writing at musiccitydrivein.com. And of course, thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it. And the new support page is live at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash badmovieswelove. I'd love to hear from you, so if you have a bad movie you love and or maybe would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me now at badmovieswelove at thescheiss.com or badmovieswelove on Twitter and Instagram, and that's love with an L-U-V. And as always, 
Take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun however you get your movies. <laughs>